Without Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner in town, the Seahawks have a brand new set of captains. Which four players did the team vote as their new captains for the 2022 season? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Now less than a week away from the start of the regular season, Monday night football between the Seahawks and Broncos. What can Seattle expect from Russell Wilson playing with new head coach Nathaniel Hackett? We're going to be looking inside the numbers from Hackett's time in Green Bay and what that might mean for the offense the Seahawks are going to see in their season opener, plus some bold predictions for the 2022 season on the offensive side of the football. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Again, the promo code locked on. Now, fear lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. For most of the past decade, Rob, as been the case on the field with Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner starring for the Seahawks, the two have been perennial captains. For this football team. In fact, the last nine seasons, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner were voted team captains, but with both of them being out of town now in Denver and Los Angeles, the Seahawks shook things up. A new era of football. We've got a new set of captains and not three of them. We've got four captains. So Seattle switching everything up here going into the 2022 season with a lot of new faces, not necessarily new faces in the sense that they've been with the team for a while, but have not been captains for this football team, given some bigger voices to a number of stars on this football team. Yeah, as you said, I mean, four different players getting that that team captain role. Uh, you know, of course, on the offensive side of the ball, the receiver, the, the the player that I think a lot of people may have expected to win that award, Tyler Lockett, uh, received that not only because of who he is on the field for the Seahawks, but who he is off the field as well. So again, not an unexpected uh, you know decision by the Seahawks players, and that in itself is something that we need to kind of focus in on here. There are a lot of clubs out there, Corbin, where they the, the coach. The, the front office, they will kind of influence uh, the way that these votes go down. Um, obviously, it is typical that you'll see a quarterback get the you know get the captain role on offense the middle linebacker uh on, on defense but to see tyler lockett the receiver get the vote on offense two defensive players quandre Diggs, that the pro bowl for, uh, free safety that he is a previous team captain with the detroit lions again not a surprising selection there al woods the defensive tackle uh might be a little bit of a surprise i guess to some but I don't know that I would say that to Al Woods, at least if I had to have a conversation with him in person, just because of, again, 
who he is just in terms of his his size, his stature, his personality, and, and then just the fact that, that he played as well as just about any Seahawk defender a year ago. So I think that's very well-deserved and probably the least surprising. Once he made the team, uh, Nick Ballore. I mean, he has long been Seattle's captain on, on special teams. To me, the big storyline here, though, is the fact that we didn't mention a quarterback there. Again, it is just kind of goes with the position. You're a quarterback, you're going to be the captain on offense. To me, what this says is it's not only the coaches, not only the fans out there, but some of the players in Seattle's locker room who maybe aren't quite so sure that Geno Smith is going to be the runaway uh, leader of this team at the quarterback position. Maybe there is going to be a little bit of, of transition as the season goes on. Maybe there's not. Maybe Geno Smith does seize the role and Seattle has the big season that Pete Carroll is projecting. But it does speak a little bit to the, the idea that the Seahawks themselves aren't quite so sure. So I think that Geno Smith, like most competitors, is going to take that slight slight uh, as a little bit of motivation. And I think we're going to see his absolute best football in the NFL this season for the Seahawks. And I don't know that I would rush to judgment on that. And yes, it is shocking the Seahawks don't have a quarterback as a captain because this is just the second time now in 22 years that a quarterback has not been one of Seattle's captains. You have the last nine years for Russell Wilson. They had one season early in Pete Carroll's tenure where they didn't have a quarterback as a captain. But otherwise, I mean, this has been pretty much a constant for Seattle, whether it was Matt Hasselbeck, one year Tavares Jackson served that role. I mean, Seattle has traditionally not – or they've had quarterbacks, at least one quarterback, has been a team captain, and they've had their linebacker most of the time on defense, and they're having neither one of them. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that Geno Smith is not a captain. I don't think it necessarily reflects that the team doesn't view him as a leader. You talk to players in the locker room, and you don't get that sense. But – I think this says a lot more about Tyler Lockett deserving this opportunity more than anything. And I think you could say that about Quandre Diggs. Diggs has been a team captain with the Detroit Lions two times previously. So this is not foreign ground for him. He has been a team captain. Al Woods, I don't believe, has been a captain with any of the teams he's played for, at least not when he's been with Seattle the previous two times. That one did surprise me, not because I don't view him as a leader, but not necessarily the vocal kind that you would expect would be voted for this kind of a selection, but it tells you just what this entire locker room thinks of him. And what I think that you, you look at this list, Nick Ballore is goofy and Nick Ballore says things that'll make you laugh in press conference. Just a funny guy, but he's serious on the field. He's serious about working with young players and he's not necessarily a rah-rah guy on the field either. I don't think any of these four captains that Seattle has selected, you, know, you can make the argument Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner weren't this way either. They are not the most vocal of leaders, but they do such a great job leading by example. And that's probably what stood out most with Al Woods. You mentioned him being the best defensive player in this team maybe last year from start to finish. Teammates notice that. They notice the work ethic. And I'll give you just one play from training camp that shows why Al Woods deserved to be selected as a captain. There was a play where I believe it was Travis Homer ran the football. And Travis Homer, not surprising, but he is much faster than Al Woods. He's a running back. Al Woods is a 340-pound defensive tackle. But Al Woods chased him down from behind after the play had been blown dead chased him like 60 yards downfield and ended up catching him. And it's that kind of effort that is contagious. Other players in the team are going to start practicing that hard. 
because if he's doing that, I've got to make sure that I'm seen out there. It rubs off on everybody else in positive fashion. And so I think he's one of those guys. Quandre Diggs can be vocal at times, can be a chatterbox in his free safety position, but still generally not a super rah-rah player. Tyler Lockett isn't either. Uh, it's kind of the same type of personalities. There's some differences. Ballor is obviously the clown of this group, but all of these players take their job seriously. They bring the work ethic, the leadership intangibles, and what they do on the field action-wise. And so I think that speaks volumes, just the type of players that these teammates selected for these four captain positions. Oh, no, no question about it. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a very positive story, of course, with, with Al Woods. And and I'll mention a frightening moment when Tyler Lockett was laying down the field after uh, suffering what looked like a pretty frightening injury and the way that his teammates all went to him. Similar to what we saw in the preseason with Damian Lewis going down, that kind of speaks to his leadership ability as well. I think it just, it, it, again, it just speaks to the respect uh, that, that all of their teammates have for these players. That, that the Seahawks team, uh, in terms of the players selected as their captains, and and I certainly did not mean any disrespect to Geno Smith. I think that he has been the the epitome uh, of a leader, whether he has been playing or he has been uh, working on the sideline when, when he was the backup behind Russell Wilson. And and a big part of that throughout, throughout training camp, even while I was critical of, of Geno Smith on the field uh, as far as his play as a quarterback and, and just delivering passes and things of that nature the leadership that he showed his willingness to meet with fans afterwards and and just kind of support his teammates i thought really was uh you know something that kind of stood out uh in, in comparison to drew lock i think that drew lock did a good job in that way i thought that geno smith did a spectacular job in in that way of kind of seizing that leadership position so I, I do think that it's interesting that the Seahawks do not have a team captain at quarterback, a middle linebacker. Those are easily the two most popular positions when it comes to team captains. But at the same time, I don't think that that is a slight necessarily to Seattle's quarterbacks or middle linebackers, much more of a reflection of just the leadership abilities of some of the other players. And the fact that Seattle does have, let's, let's face it, does have some questions at those key positions. And, and they're hoping that somebody is going to seize that role. I would not be surprised at all if Jordan Brooks won Winds up becoming a team captain in the future, and it remains to be seen if it's going to be a quarterback on this roster or a quarterback in the future who is going to be Seattle's captain in the long-term future. I can tell you one thing. There's not a player on this Seahawks roster, though, that is looking to 2023 right now. They are all looking towards the season opener, whether it's Geno Smith, Jordan Brooks, whoever. Everybody on this team, everybody on this coaching staff, they're waiting for that visit from Russell Wilson week one. And we got the game coming up now in less than a week, six days from now. Russell Wilson and the Broncos will be at Lumen Field. So continuing our preview coverage here of that upcoming season opener, what might Denver's offense look like with Russell Wilson under center and Nathaniel Hackett serving as the head coach? We're going to look inside the numbers from Hackett's days in Green Bay and, of course, Russell Wilson's days in Seattle the last couple of years and compare and contrast how this offense might look similar, how it might look different. We're going to get to that coming up here in a moment. As a diehard fantasy player, I'm rolling with Josh Allen to throw for over 400 yards, Jonathan Taylor to amass three rushing touchdowns, and Cooper Cup to snag 10 receptions in week one. Those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play 
Daily Fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they will go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's NFL, NBA, MLB, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, or even boxing and disc golf. They've got you covered. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe with fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Rob, we've got a pretty big game coming up in six days, one of the biggest games. In Seahawks history, I think you could make an argument that this might be one of the top three biggest games in Seahawks history with the magnitude of the player coming back to Seattle in Russell Wilson. I think you can put it up there with those two NFC championship games that they won in 2013 and 2014 to go to the Super Bowl. And one of the big questions heading into this game, what is this relationship between Russell Wilson and new head coach Nathaniel Hackett going to look like? What does this offense look like? Is it much the same that we saw Russell Wilson run in Seattle with multiple coordinators, or are there going to be some substantial wrinkles that are thrown in in Hackett's offense that can really accentuate Wilson's strengths and take him to another level? We know Wilson, that's what he's hoping happens here. Uh, But You and I decided to dive into the numbers and check out a number of different things, whether it's personnel groupings, run pass splits, under center shotgun splits, trying to see what fans may or may not be able to expect to see come Monday night from Denver's offense with number number three under center. Yeah, it's such a highly anticipated showdown, Corbin, as you just uh, pointed out, that I think that we had to kind of, you know, put our scouting hats on a little bit. And, you know, of course, when I say that, normally I'm focusing on personnel. Um, but, you know, the, of course, there's a whole different other element to the scouting process, and that is looking at how they arrange their players, the formations and things of that nature. And, of course, we, we know Russell Wilson very well, what he likes, but there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there who maybe are not quite as familiar with Nathaniel Hackett, now the head coach of the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson, previously had been the offensive coordinator with the Green Bay Packers, obviously had themselves a superstar quarterback there in Aaron Rodgers. We know the MVP awards that he has won there. We know the different talent that they had there at the wide receiver position, Devontae Adams, the, the two-headed monsters that they had uh, you know, at, at the running back position as well, the issues that they had along the offensive line and protecting their star quarterback. And I, and I mentioned all these things because, oh my goodness, those things line up very, very nicely with what Seattle has done with Russell Wilson over the last couple of years. So I think when we start breaking down these numbers, these personnel groupings, 
that you are going to see that there is a lot of familiarity between what Seattle has done previously with Russell Wilson and what Nathaniel Hackett is likely to ask Russell Wilson to do in Denver. Or maybe I should change that, what Russell Wilson is going to ask Nathaniel Hackett to, to want to do in, in Denver. Uh, and I think that what you're going to see is, again, a lot of the same kind of looks, a lot of shotgun formation, a, a lot of, of deep shots over the top, some play action, because you know the Broncos are going to want to focus in on, on their two running backs, especially because, as we've talked about, Seattle has some concerns at the linebacker position. Uh, you know, And so to me, that is going to be one of the things that we need to look at, how often they use the, the tight ends, the running backs. I think you're going to primarily be seeing Denver is going to be using the two wide receiver sets because they got two studs in Cortland Sutton, the big uh, 6'4", 210-pounder who is at his best going deep. Of course, that's one of the things that Russell Wilson is at his best at. And then Jerry Judy, who is just a dynamic uh, former first round uh, wide receiver out of Alabama. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of rapport that Russell Wilson and Judy are able to build similar to what uh, Russell Wilson had previously in Seattle, of course, with Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that's going to be one of the most fascinating things here. How many times they run 12 personnel, 21 personnel, those things of that nature. That's really what we want to look at and see what can Seattle kind of glean from the preseason. And again, what can they learn from Nathaniel Hackett's past in Green Bay? I was really intrigued going into this research because you and I have watched the Packers quite a bit the last couple of years, especially in playoff games. And so I went into this with a decent idea what type of offense Green Bay ran. But there's a caveat to this. Matt LaFleur, the head coach, is the play caller in Green Bay. Nathaniel Hackett did call plays in Jacksonville back in 2017 and 2018. 2017, believe it or not, the Jaguars were one quarter away from getting to the Super Bowl. And that offense was led by Blake Bortles. So that was really the first thing that put Hackett on the radar. So he has been a play caller before, and he was heavily involved in Green Bay's offensive game planning. But last year and the two years prior in Green Bay, he was the coordinator by title. He was not a play caller with Lafleur taking those duties as head coach. So without further ado, let's get to some of these numbers. And I'm going to show what the Seahawks have done, as well as the Packers lining those up and what that might tell us about this offense. And you were mentioning the personnel groupings real quick for our listeners that don't know the difference. 11 personnel, the two ones, that has to do with the number of running backs and tight ends that are on the field. So in this case, one running back and one tight end, that means you have three wide receivers. So 11 personnel has three receivers, one running back, one tight end. In 12 personnel, you have one running back and two tight ends to go with two receivers. So in both cases, you're going to have five skill players, just a little different usage of personnel. And Rob, you can notice it right here. It kind of matches up with what you were just saying. The Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks last year, according to sharp football analysis, pretty darn close in how they ran different types of personnel groupings. The Seahawks 67% of the time were in 11 personnel, the Packers 61%, the Packers we're in 12 personnel, 29% of the time, the Seahawks 26% of the time. And Rob, that stat there with 12 personnel, both the Seahawks and Packers in the top five in the NFL for 12 personnel usage. 
Yeah, and when you see that 12 personnel usage, and as you mentioned, I mean, the, the very first number there correlates to how many running backs are on the field. So the 12 personnel means one running back and, again, two tight ends. And you think about the way that Seattle used their tight ends. Uh, you know, obviously guys like Will Disley, uh, Gerald Everett, Kobe Parkinson, I mean, they, they had some splashy performances, but a lot of times those tight ends were kept in to, to block or to be secondary targets. And that's what I expect to happen uh, in Denver as well. If they're going to be keeping uh, two tight ends on the field, and then cer certainly Albert O is going to be able to potentially break free for some, uh, you know, for some intermediate kind of targets. But we know that that's not something that, that Russell Wilson has excelled with in the past. So again, I think that you're going to see the tight ends being used as extra blockers, which, you know, makes some sense considering that we are expecting Seattle's pass rush to be greatly improved this season. Uh, I think the most interesting thing is going to be how often does Denver try to go to a, a three receiver look? Because as we mentioned before, that they have two studs in Sutton and Judy. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Jahan Dotson. Uh, you know, the, the rookie Montreal Wash we talked about yesterday as well. They've got some pretty quick slot receivers that are interesting, especially considering that the fact that Seattle is very likely to be using some pretty inexperienced cornerbacks here but there is no doubt about while well, this is definitely going to be the russell wilson show you can expect to see the two running backs javante uh javante williams excuse me and, and melvin gordon be sprinkled into this offense very often not necessarily at the same time that, that's why you're not going to see that two back uh, package very often uh but you are going to see those two backs basically be one a one b uh throughout this entire season especially in the in the opener against seattle Building off of that, we'll get to the running game here in a moment, but I found this fascinating too. A lot of people have been wondering, you know, this is going to be Russell Wilson, the centerpiece. That's what he wants to be because the reports out there have been saying he didn't feel like he was that guy in Seattle. And yet you look at the numbers here, first down passing, the Packers did it 60% of the time last year, the Seahawks 54%. So yeah, there's a 6% difference. It's not that big of a gap but very similar in their success and their yards per attempt. Yards per attempt, the Seahawks were tied for first. The Packers were second, 8.2 and 8.1 yards per attempt. So both these teams were very explosive when they passed the football on first down. Seattle actually had a 5% higher success rate on first down passes last year. I found that interesting, especially considering Russell Wilson's struggles coming off his injury and the fact that Geno Smith had some issues with first down passing in the three starts he had. And yet Seattle finished with a higher success rate than what the Packers did. Now getting to the run game, this, this is where it's really interesting to me. Now we don't have 2021 numbers, unfortunately, was not able to get the Sharp Football Analysis website to show accurate numbers for 2021. But 2020, Nathaniel Hackett was still the coordinator in Green Bay. Russell Wilson was still the quarterback in Seattle and he was healthy that season. So this might be a better litmus test but just look at that, Rob. Snap distribution under center. The Packers and Seahawks both identical. 67% run under center, which was in the bottom half of the league. Both these teams like running play action from under center as much as any teams in the league. And so Nathaniel Hackett had his hand in on that. And I anticipate we are going to see that in Denver, especially with Russell Wilson, that being one of his greatest strengths. 
Oh, exactly. And that's the thing. It, it, I agree with you. I mean, while the 2021 statistics might be interesting, I, I don't know that they would paint as true of a picture. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Rashad Penny came in last season at the tail end of the year and, of course, just threw everything out of whack with all of his explosive runs. But when Seattle is operating it the way they wanted to, it was when Chris Carson was coming in there with a three, four, five, and then a 20-yard kind of cloud of dust kind of, kind of a run. Um, and then the play-action passing, of course, going off of that. So I think that this actually is a better tail of the tape, so to speak, uh, with, with those 2020 statistics. And then the same thing, of course, with Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers this past season you know Aaron Rodgers was unbelievable but at the same time statistically he was so slanted towards Devontae Adams that it kind of skews those numbers and I don't think that that is likely to be the case with Russell Wilson he has never been a guy who just focused in on one receiver that's been one of the great things uh, about Russell Wilson's play is that he did have this incredible spatial awareness if you got open Russell Wilson found you and, and so that's one of the things that I think is kind of fascinating about these numbers here um, is because, again, it, it does line up very well with what Russell Wilson does and the way that the Denver Broncos are built. That's what makes them a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And it's going to be that much more exciting if the Seattle is able to kind of punch him in the mouth uh, Monday night. Yeah, I think when you look at these numbers and it really is what you said before we even dug into the numbers, Russell Wilson has had three coordinators in Seattle and yet the offense has ended up being pretty much the same thing because Russell Wilson has very specific strengths and weaknesses to his game. And I'm just curious to see how this plays out in Denver because, you know, you look at some differences in Green Bay. And some of this just had to do with the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers is much more willing to dump the ball off on screens. He's much more effective. The play calling has been more effective. The Seahawks have not been able to run screens really for a decade for the most part. Green Bay has been very good at it. And that's part of the reason they averaged 0.6 yards per completion more after the catch than the Seahawks last year. Same time, Seattle's been as dangerous as any team in the NFL the last 10 years with Russell Wilson, at quarterback, throwing the bomb downfield. And they averaged a full yard more in air yards per pass attempt last year than the Green Bay Packers did with Hackett as the offensive coordinator. And so I'm just really curious to see. There's some there's some clear differences. Seattle was actually the more explosive team last year, according to Sharp Football Analysis. 11% of their plays being explosives. The Packers had nine. A lot of that was the run game. Seattle had 53 explosive runs. The Packers had just 35. Passing game, the Packers were slightly more explosive with Russell Wilson's injury and his struggles at times last year. That's not surprising. But I think you put all things together – there may be some little wrinkles in here, and maybe Russell Wilson will show off something we have not seen in the last 10 years, and Hackett is going to be able to bring that out of him in his offense as the head coach. But all the signs here show to me you're going to see a very similar offense, in part because this is the type of offense that Nathaniel Hackett has ran back in Jacksonville. It was much the same. I don't expect that he's going to reinvent the wheel, and any good coach is going to play to a player's strengths, which means you're going to see a lot of the same stuff that Seattle has done with Russell Wilson, for better or worse, in Denver's case. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you, you mentioned screen game. Uh, and, and I think that's something that we haven't talked about much. We've certainly talked about how Russell Wilson's height may have played a role in, in why he struggled with throwing the ball over the middle, especially to the tight end. Think about a screen. Obviously, you are inviting the defensive line or linebackers to get up into the quarterback's face, and he's supposed to just kind of throw it over the top. Well, if you are a shorter quarterback, it's that much more difficult. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think that 
we're, that we are basically hitting the nail on the head when it comes to identifying what Russell Wilson does very, very well. And, and that is very likely what Nathaniel Hackett is going to ask him to do in Denver. I mean, this is a quarterback who is a veteran. He is as good as it gets basically in the league. He's proven that over his career. Why ask him to completely change what has made him successful? I think it's going to be quite the opposite. I think Russell Wilson is going to come in there and basically say, look, coach, this is what I want to do. And the Denver Broncos, based on their trade for him, the massive contract that they've given him, and certainly everything that they've said personally and or privately and publicly, basically say, look, we're we're hitching our wagon to Russell Wilson and gonna just kind of do what he does best. And, and obviously that's led to a great deal of success for him. So I don't think that, that Denver's gonna try a surprise. Seattle in any way. I think they're going to try and out execute them. And that's what's going to be interesting because it's not just the the 12, not just the 11 uh, players on defense that, that the Broncos have to try and beat. They got to beat the 12th man too. And so that's what's going to be kind of fascinating about this is it may not matter all the personnel groupings and, and the scheme and all that. If Seattle's crowd is loud enough, the emotion is high enough then that is really what is going to make this game, as you mentioned before, as eagerly anticipated as perhaps some of those deep playoff runs in the past. And we're going to get to matchups coming up on our first matchup Wednesday tomorrow. I've got about three of them that just popped out in my head here talking about this game. And one of them might be the 12s against the Broncos because there is going to be a lot of emotion in all facets in this football game with Russell Wilson coming back to Seattle Taking a little bit of a diff, uh, taking a little bit of a step away from this upcoming Week One game. The Seahawks announced an unofficial depth chart today. They updated it. So with that, we're going to take a look at Seattle's offensive personnel groups. We're going to dish out grades for those groups now that we know the 53-man roster and dish out a bold prediction at each of those roster positions when we return. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite, Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. Light, chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Only 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein. Run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It will be the perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place. This is what I do, and just hoard them for yourself. What's great about Built is that all their Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED. On 15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that's the promo locked on 15 to get 15% of your order at built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, our co host, Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team of experts here at the Locked On Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, all combining into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got this big season opener coming up at Lumen Field on Monday. Russell Wilson coming back to his old stomping grounds against Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. And we're going to have plenty more time here in coming days to continue diving into that matchup 
But first and foremost, we have a pretty good idea now, Rob, who's going to be on this 53-man roster. We had a new depth chart revealed in the media guide today. Take it for what it's worth. Three rookies in the starting lineup. Mike Jackson in the starting lineup across from Tariq Woolen. We'll see if those are the actual starters when Seattle takes the field on Monday. But over the next couple of days, we're going to be taking a step back and looking at the positional groups on Seattle's roster on offense and defense. Today, we're going to do offense, and we're going to quickly go through the starters' reserves, a positional grade, and you and I are going to dish out a bold prediction at each position group. we got to start a quarterback. Russell Wilson's going to be playing for Denver under center. Geno Smith earning the starting job over Drew Locke. Those are the two quarterbacks that are on the roster Still don't know if we can necessarily call that a competition last month, but how would you grade this position group with all the uncertainty with two journeyman veterans as the only quarterbacks on the roster? What would you grade it as, and what's your bold prediction this year from the quarterback position for Seattle? Well, my bold prediction is that uh, I think that Geno Smith is basically going to be the guy that we've seen him to be. Uh, you know, the old expression is a tiger doesn't change his stripes. Well, a Seahawk doesn't change their feathers either. And, and Geno Smith is, you know, he he's the safe guy. He, he is the guy that is going to make, uh, you know, good decisions with the ball. He's not going to, to put the ball in, in harm's way. That's the, the biggest reason. Uh, I think that Pete Carroll uh, selected him as the quarterback, despite not throwing a touchdown over the preseason. That that's basically what I'm expecting here. As I do think that he is going to limit the turnovers. He's going to keep Seattle in ball games, but I also wonder if he is going to be able to generate enough points to actually help Seattle translate, uh, you know, that into actual victories. So my bold prediction is that you're going to see a change at the quarterback position by the midway point. In fact, I would not be surprised at all. Drew Locke is starting for the Seahawks by Halloween. You ask me for a grade at this point. I think a C minus is about as high as you can go right now. I, I certainly uh, am hoping from a Seahawk perspective that we're going to see better play at the quarterback position than that. And I don't care about statistics. I, I don't care if, if Geno Smith or Drew Locke, for that matter, if they wind up being you know competing for top quarterback honors in terms of the number of touchdowns thrown and all that. I care about wins from a Seahawk perspective. And that's the, the biggest question here. I think you can look down the, all 32 NFL teams and I don't know that you can come up with 10 other teams that have more concerns at the quarterback position than Seattle. So anything higher than something in the C's, I think is just being eternally optimistic at this point. Yeah, I don't think you can go any higher than a C minus, just given what we know. Now, if Geno Smith goes out and lights the world on fire, he and DK Metcalf pick up where they left off in those three starts last year. He and Lockett find it. D. Eskridge emerges. I mean, there's a lot of ifs that I'm throwing out here. Then maybe we have a much different discussion midway point of the season with Geno Smith, or maybe Drew Locke is playing by that point. My bold prediction at this position, though, I'm a bit more optimistic on Geno Smith. I'm going to say, and this is not necessarily a great stat by any means, but I think he's going to finish in the top 15 in the NFL in passing touchdowns. And that would mean he's a top 15 quarterback in that category. When you have Metcalf, Lockett, Eskridge, some of the running backs that they have, the receiving ability, those players have the tight end potential that there is there. There's no excuse for this offense not be able to put some points in the board with the passing game. And I think Geno Smith, even if he's the safe quarterback, he's going to find ways to make some of those downfield throws and take advantage of the middle of the field as well. So I think he's going to throw – enough touchdowns to be in the top 15. I think he's going to hang on to his job, at least for most of the season. Now let's get to the running back position. Rashad Penny 
healthy. They kept him in bubble wrap for most of training camp all the preseason. He's good to go. Fantastic shape. They're hoping Ken Walker III can play in week one, but jury's still out whether he's going to be back. You've got DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. You and I both know, Rob, you can never have too many running backs, and there's no shortage at that position. You want to have two guys in your practice squad that can run the football because of the injury attrition there. But it feels like all around top to bottom that this might be as good, as talented of a running back stable with Darwin Thompson being on the practice squad, a guy that we thought might make the roster. Having those five backs, this might be as good of an all-around group of running backs as Seattle has had. So I'm going to give this group a B-plus just because of durability concerns. We keep that out the window, might even go A-minus. Yeah, that, that's I did give them the A minus because even with the durability concerns, as you mentioned, Corbin, I mean, it's just it's so good top to bottom. It is one of the best positional groups, at least among, among running backs in all of the NFL. I think it's easily Seattle's best positional group on offense, maybe even total on the team. Safety being the other one, as we talked about before. You know, you mentioned Ken Walker the third. I mean, obviously everybody's expect has he's huge expectations of a second round pick, but we just haven't seen it. And at the same time, and I don't want this to sound as any disrespect to Ken Walker III, but I just don't care because I'm just so high on DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, and Darwin Thompson as well as obviously Rashad Penny. I think that what we saw, the flashes of Rashad Penny last year, are exactly what we're going to see this year. You mentioned the fact that he is in terrific shape. He is on that one-year contract. The incentive couldn't be bigger and higher for him because of the quarterback uh, questions. I think that people are sleeping on him nationally. The receiver talent is so good. The offensive line is so improved. Tight end as well. It really does set up for somebody in the running back room to explode this year. And we know how Pete Carroll is. He wants to give the ball to one back and then have the other guys get five or six carries, maybe at most. And I think Rashad Penny has a chance to be that guy. So between him and then again, the depth at that position, anything Ken Walker gives you this year, I think is a bonus. And I'm giving him an A minus right off the top. I think this could be an A plus. Yeah, if everybody stays healthy and they can get Walker back into the lineup early and their third down backs play well, improve, this group has a chance to be as good as any running back group in the NFL. My bold prediction, I don't know if it's bold because of how well Rashad Penny played last year, but then again, he's never had more than 800 rushing yards in the season. I think he finishes in the top three in the NFL in rushing yards this year. I'm going all in on him because they have kept him in bubble wrap, they protected him in preseason training camp. He's in fantastic shape. He's looked good the practice he's played in. So I think he's ready for a monster season after Seattle rewarded him with a one-year contract in March. Let's go to the outside, the receiver position. Everyone knows DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, maybe the best pair of receivers in the NFL, at least statistically the last three years. There's been nobody better. They did have Russell Wilson throwing passes them. Now Geno Smith is going to be throwing passes that Changes the trajectory maybe a little bit for this group in terms of ceiling and upside. But really the big reason I'm only giving this group a B, it's not those top two players, Lockett and Metcalf. They are an A in terms of one, two. It, it's the question mark that continues to linger about who's going to be that number three receiver. Eskridge has not been able to get healthy. We got to see him playing that third preseason game. He looked fast. Can you keep him on the field? Can he seize that number three job? Maybe Marquise Goodwin former track star, maybe he's your guy, or maybe Derek Young, seventh rounder, made the roster, had a good training camp preseason. Maybe he's the one that comes out of nowhere and becomes your number three. But until somebody steps up and shows they are a legitimate number three receiver, 
I can't give better than a B. And my bold take at receiver, Rob, this isn't saying they're going to have bad seasons, but I actually have changed my tune on Metcalf's touchdown total. I actually, for my bold take, I think Lockett and Metcalf are both going to come up just short of double-digit touchdown receptions this year. Yeah, I think that's a it's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, I, I think that when you look at the at the receivers, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I, I think that in the top two guys, obviously you're talking about A quality, and then after that it is such a concern that it drops the grade. I also gave them a B. I don't know that it's a bold prediction because it, it's certainly one that Tyler Lockett has proven me wrong essentially since Seattle selected him in the second round all those years ago. Uh, you know, he is a terrific player, but at the same time, I think that part of what made him so special is the rapport that he built up with Russell Wilson. And I just haven't yet seen that with Geno Smith. So I guess my bold prediction is I think that you are going to see DK Metcalf ascend to a whole different level. And then Tyler Lockett still be very, very good. A Pro Bowl caliber receiver, probably the most consistent, reliable receiver on their team. But if you're looking for statistics, if you're looking for the flashy plays, I do think you're going to see DK take his game up to a whole other level. Uh, Tyler Lockett be that that clear number two, and then can Seattle have anybody uh, establish themselves as number number three? D. Eskridge at this point to me ha has just been the epitome of inconsistency. You see the flashes, but they are far and few between. We've got to see a lot more of that if Seattle's receiving core is going to be able to earn anything higher than a B grade. Let's go to the tight end group now, and this has been a positional unit that for years, it seems like at least in the passing game has underperformed. There's been high expectations when they brought in Greg Olson, bringing back Jacob Hollister, last year Gerald Everett, reuniting with Shane Waldron and the drops that he had, some of the other issues. It just hasn't worked out the way that Seattle has envisioned. Will Disley with his injuries that hindered his first two promising seasons. There's been all kinds of factors that have been at play, but there's not been a tight end since Jimmy Graham left after the 2017 season with more than 500 receiving yards in a season. I guess my bold prediction, and it's bold just because Seattle has not been able to do it. I do think Noah Fant becomes the first player since Jimmy Graham to exceed. I'm not even going to go 500. I'm going to say 600 receiving yards at the tight end position. I think he becomes that number three wideout by default behind Metcalf and Lockett. He's going to get a lot more targets with Geno Smith as the quarterback than he probably would have with Russell Wilson being under center. And so I think Fant, just his presence alone, the ability to stretch the field, Will Disley as a reliable short yardage receiver, the best blocking tight end, the wild card being Kobe Parkinson. I'm going to go with B- minus for this position group. Maybe I'm thinking a little bit too much from an upside standpoint because this group has had an up and down preseason collectively, but I'm still high on this trio playing in Shane Waldron's offense, and I like the tight ends with Geno Smith in this scheme. So I'm going to go with a B minus and that Noah Fant is going to have a really nice season that is the best the tight ends had here in more than five years. Yeah. And, and I think that you can make an argument that Noah Fant's going to have the best season in, in Seahawks history at the tight end position. I think the talent is that good. Um, we, you talked about it. I mean, you took the words kind of right out of my mouth there as far as just the expectations that tight end have been so good for so long. It's been basically revolving door at tight end. We've had a lot of really talented players come through Seattle, had a different offensive uh, play callers come through Seattle. The only consistent factor ha has been 
obviously Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And as we talked about, Russell Wilson has just historically struggled getting the ball to the tight end. And so now that Wilson's out the door, there's all the expectation, all the reason in the world why Seattle's tight end room should absolutely explode this year. And if we were recording this show three months ago, rather than basically on, you know, the week before the game, I would absolutely echo those sentiments. But Throughout training camp, I have been disappointed by Seattle's play at tight end. There, there's been too many times where I've seen Noah Fant struggle to get his feet down uh, when he's getting close to the sideline. I want to see a little bit better body control, a little bit better focus than what I've seen from him. I've seen Will Disley drop some balls and miss some blocks that, frankly, given how much money he got paid, he needs to be better on his game. And Kobe Parkinson, come on. I mean, you, you, you are, are incredible talent, but that's got to come together as well. So at this point, I think it's a C. Uh, and I, I think that you could make an argument that this club should be much higher or this positional group should be much higher. But as I say many times, the proof is in the pudding and I haven't seen the pudding yet, uh, you know, to, to justify anything higher than the C grade I'm giving Seattle's tight end group. Last but not least, going to the trenches, the offensive line, you've got two newcomers. You're going to be starting a pair of rookies against the Denver Broncos in week one in Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas at the tackle positions. Just the third time that a team has had two rookie tackles started week one since 1970. The Cardinals and the Jaguars being the other two teams that have done that in the last 50 years. So Seattle's going to make history for better or worse with those two. In the interior, you've got some continuity with Austin Blythe coming in. He's a newcomer to Seattle, but he's played for Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson, so he's been able to hit the ground running, been an upgrade from a communications standpoint. At minimum, you're going to have Damian Lewis hopefully back for the season opener from his ankle sprain to go with Gabe uh, Jackson. You've also got Phil Haynes behind him. Overall, I think this offensive line has a chance to maybe be the most surprising positional group for good reason. On this roster, all the talk going into training camp was this is going to be the worst offensive line in the NFL, and maybe it will end up being because of the youth movement and tackle. But I've just seen enough from both Cross and Lucas to suggest to me that, yeah, there's going to be rookie slumps, but these two are ready to play. You've got a very solid interior offensive line, an upgrade at center. Andy Dickerson seems to be doing a good job with these guys. So right now, I'm going to give this position group a B- minus because I think that it's trending in the right direction to be a very surprising, for good reason, positional group. And my bold prediction, Abraham Lucas is going to give up less sacks and pass protection than Charles Cross this year. That's an interesting one. I, I like that prediction. That's... um. I think it's funny to kind of talk about sacks. I think that if you look at the sacks for the last couple of seasons with the Seahawks, last year they gave up 46. Each of the past two years before that, they gave up 48, which was not the lowest in the, or the most in the league, despite what others have, have kind of suggested uh, throughout the NFL and all the talking heads out there. Um, I think that you're actually going to see Seattle's sack numbers decrease this year, um, even with the two rookie tackles. But I think that there are going to be moments when the rookies are going to look like rookies. And, uh, and of course, we saw that in, in the preseason opener with, with Charles Cross. While he was very effective in play, he made those, those pre-snap penalties. And those are the kind of things that, again, can translate into losses. So I'm going to give them a B. I think that this is a talented, talented bunch. I love the way that Seattle is building their roster because, of course, 
the expectation is if they don't have the franchise quarterback here now, then you're going to get one next year. So why not develop your offensive line now and then hopefully be able to hit the ground running, so to speak, when you get the quarterback, if that is the case next year. So I do love the talent, and I do think that statistically they're going to be improved this year. At the same time, I think there's going to be some games where Seattle's rookies get absolutely thumped, and that's part of the reason why I think that Geno Smith may not be starting uh, once we get a little bit later in the season because physically he may not be able to hold up to the types of hits that he might absorb. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, I'm fired up. My favorite episode the entire week. First time this year, Matchup Wednesday. Rob and I are going to be digging into offensive and defensive matchups to keep a close eye on. We're really excited about it when the Seahawks and the Broncos do get out in the season opener at Lumen Field. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.